Well, hello, everyone. Your Bible's open. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. Boy, that's worth getting into, isn't it? So as we turn to Acts chapter 17 this week, um, I, we have to go back. What a lesson last week, wasn't it? Just such a lesson. And we have Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey where their team grows, and Timothy joins them, Luke joins them. And how they're instructed to go from the normal direction along the normal route. And Paul was given the vision to go into the Macedonia area. And that is where they landed in a town called Philippi. Where they met a woman because there wasn't 10 Jewish men. At least 10 Jewish men in this town to create a synagogue. So they went to the place of prayer and they found women there. And they met Lydia. And how, how the Lord opened her heart. Because she was a God-fearing, a very religious woman. And we also reiterated to Cornelius. They were very good people, well-respected. And yet, they needed Jesus. I don't care what religion you might be faithful too. If your religion does not have Jesus and Jesus alone, then it is a false religion. Christianity, yes, it's, it's a religion. But remember, Christianity is based on a relationship with a Savior. And so then we watch Lydia, her heart opened and she responds to the gospel and she falls in love with Jesus and and. She is willing to serve. And she's willing to serve Paul and Silas, the team. And then Paul and Silas, they're, they're, they meet this woman who has a demon, and this demon is allowing her to tell fortunes. And the owner of this woman, so like we said last week, she, she was, it was kind of like she was pimped out. And these two, these two men used her to make a lot of money. And even though she was saying the truth when she said that, they were, that Paul and Silas were servants of the Lord Jesus, even though she, she was stating that they were the servants of the Most High God and telling the people how to be saved, Paul just couldn't stand it anymore because it was like a demon telling the gospel story. And somehow that just doesn't gel. We saw how Paul and Silas then were, were grabbed and seized and thrown into, well, first of all, they were, they, were, they were flogged and beaten, the Bible says. Their bodies broken and then thrown into the innermost part of the prison, guarded, guarded, like not probably none other in there. And then their feet fastened into stocks. Can't even imagine how painful, how uncomfortable, how damp and cold and smelly and all that. I just, I don't mean to reiterate all that again, but yet it just shows what they were willing to do for the gospel of Christ. And now they, they trusted the Holy Spirit's leading, even though they didn't like it. And they changed their attitudes by, by instead of complaining and sobbing and whining, questioning and doubting the Lord's will, they sat there connected to him through prayer and singing hymns, going back to the cross of Christ to make sure that they, that they remembered what Jesus was willing to do for them. And then to think that all the other prisoners were listening. How a meticulous earthquake hit. Enough to open the doors of the prison to unchain the prisoners' chains. To have the jailer ready to commit suicide because he figured that the prisoners all escaped. 
But the powerful testimony of Paul and Silas kept them there. The Holy Spirit kept them there. And then the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the very uncomplicated, simple, but truthful message of Paul and Silas was believe, believe with your heart. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. How, how simple, how uncomplicated. And then how the jailer brought Paul and Silas home and how the jailer's family all believed and they cleaned Paul and, Paul and Silas up and, and how we learned that it was then that when they, when they told Paul and Silas they could leave town, when, when the magistrates sent their officers to say, you can go, you can go now. And that's when Paul and Silas said, we are Roman citizens. And so we want you, uh, we want them to come and see us. They beat us publicly without a trial. And we said last week, because I think this is so profound, why in the world didn't they play that Roman citizen card before they were beaten and flogged and thrown into that prison? The power of God's spirit, what they were willing to go through for the cause of Christ. Because we said the Holy Spirit can shut a door as well as open a door. And he shut the door of the Roman citizenship so that the jailer, the prisoners, the jailer's family was such a powerful lesson. Instead of doubting when God shuts a door. And maybe it isn't an... It's, an, it's harder when that door shuts. Life is harder. But don't underestimate God's plan. He's got, when he changes plans, he's got a better reason. Well, now they, after they were out of prison, they went back to Lydia's house. And instead of having Lydia just love on them, their goal is to keep training, keep teaching the new believers and encourage them. So instead of being encouraged, they encouraged. And then they, then they left there. And as we go into this week's lesson, in chapter 17, when they had passed through Amphilopolis, and him. Apollo, Apollonia, I knew, I knew I was going to flub those names up, and so you can pronounce them whatever way you want. But they came, after they passed through those two towns, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. So now they're in Thessalonica, and there is a Jewish synagogue here. And as is custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three, on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. I like those words and this is, this is the version I'm using the NIV maybe there's other words but, but I think that whatever version you, you can see that, that Paul when he went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath day, he reasoned. He didn't club them over with his biggest Bible. He, he reasoned with them. He met them on their turf. He explained. He proved through the scriptures that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. The word proclaim, it's probably one of the prettiest words. It's, it's exciting, it's positive, it's uplifting. When you proclaim something, you know it's great news because you're just not going to say it softly. You proclaim it. So this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. 
Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Why Luke wrote it this way, I don't know, but when he, when he said, and not a few prominent women, that meant a lot. A lot of women, a lot of prominent women believed, a large number of God-fearing Greeks. But the Jews were jealous. The Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters. See, they, they have to find people that they can maneuver and convince, and maybe they slid them some money under the table. Who knows? But they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the bring them to, out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. You know, really. By them saying that, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, means this is a powerful message, and it's changing lives. They have made a big impact. That's what that means. Things are happening. They are all defined Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. So they were going after Jason because they thought they had heard that Paul and Silas were, and the team were with Jason. And then they say things like they're defying Caesar's decrees. Now remember, these are Jews. And they're now defending Roman officials. Roman decrees saying that there is another king they're standing up for Caesar one called Jesus when they heard this the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil oh of course they were they knew these jealous Jews I asked you a question in the questions about jealousy again I just think that is such a an awful thing. And why, why is jealousy so awful? Because not only does that do something to you, but I think, it, well, I know, it changes the countenance on your face. And, but even more than that, look, look, what the, look what actions it produces. I mean... They're out of control. They're willing to lie. They're willing to do whatever to create this riot and create this mob. They, things, they say things like they're defending Caesar. I mean, that's just, that's, that's just unbelievable. And it all comes from the, from the little seed of jealousy. Instead of listening to the message and responding, seeing their life change and fulfilled, they hang on to that little seed of jealousy, which then grows, and then look what happens. So now you have the crowd and the city officials, they're all in turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. They made... They made them postpone, I guess, prove to them that they wouldn't take them back in or whatever. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. You know, I, I just can't, I just couldn't help but start to look back a little bit and, and to see how these Jewish leaders, these jealous, envious Jewish leaders, instead of believing, they, five times they threw Paul out. They created some kind of ruckus. It was in Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, 
Lystra, and now you'll see it in Thessalonica. But there were five times that Paul was thrown out. And the saddest thing was is that it started from the seed of jealousy in Jewish people who would not, who refused to listen and believe. They hung on to this ugliness and tried, and tried to inhibit the gospel. But boy, haven't we learned, haven't we learned that you can't stop the cause of Christ. You just can't. And so now, Paul and Silas, they were kind of snuck out at night to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character. The King James says they were more fair-minded. So if that helps you understand, they were a little more understanding. They were, they were willing to, okay, let's hear them. Instead of just listening to everybody else, okay, let's hear what they've got to say. So the Brians were more fair-minded than the Thessalonican. The Thessalonican, no. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So, yes, they were fair-minded. They listened. But they, they checked everything out. They would listen, but then they would check everything out. That's wise. Do you, do you know, and, I, and I'm telling you this, because, I mean, I study the best I can, but I often, and I pray so before, but I so want, I want to, I don't want anything to slip. Then in case I just spontaneously say something, and all of a sudden, it checks your spirit. And these Bereans, this is, this is such a good thing to learn from the Bereans, is that they listened, but if something didn't just sound quite right, or... It wasn't the way they had learned it. They would go back and check it with scripture. And they probably found out that by doing that, they were learning more, and maybe they got their, their minds and their spiritual life got stretched because they weren't just thinking, well, I was taught this. Maybe it's blossoming out because they searched it out, and they found, you know what, I think... I think I was wrong. I think I looked at that wrong. But for whatever, we should always, if we have a little check in your spirit, we go back to the scriptures and we either find that the person was wrong and off base and you have scripture proof or you find that maybe you were wrong and off base and you have scripture proof to teach you and broaden your spiritual life and in your knowledge of what scriptures teach and who Jesus is and what he wants to do for you and push that legalistic ideas a little bit more out of your life and that you are hanging on more to the truth of God's word instead of what you were taught by man. That's what happens as we study and we learn and we mature. I think in, I know for me, my, in my witnessing tactic, I would much rather say to someone, the Bible says. Or if somebody comes at me with something disagreeable, I can either find out that, yes, I was wrong, or through scripture, or I can find and say, the Bible says. It's such a powerful stabilizer when the Bible says it. And we check things with scripture. So that's what they did. They would check scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 
Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. That's really quite a wonderful statement, isn't it? We're a visual as we can see that this gospel is really now going into all the world. And many Jews are believing, but also many prominent Greek women and Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. So when those believing Jews in Thessalonica, they thought they got rid of them, but then they heard that they were in Berea, and they, they just were so self-consumed and, and zealously trying to get rid of this message and this, these men, this team. So now they are going to Berea, and they went there too, agitating the crowds, stirring them up. You know, that's another thing. If you are not... I think I mentioned this before. If you are not grounded in God's word, another, another reason to be grounded in God's word. Because if you're not, you can be easily swayed. And I think some of these people, when these prominent Thessalonican Jews came in, maybe some of the baby Christians or maybe those who weren't studying scriptures every day and learning and growing and spending their time in, in God's word. and You can be easily swayed by these powerful people, these new fads. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the ghost. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. It was very important to Paul that even though his, he wanted Silas and Timothy to come with him, I think he really wanted them to stay at least for a bit to really make sure, make sure that they were grounded in the message of the gospel. But another thing I was looking at is when the Jews in Thessalonica, it just seemed like in chapter 17, you would, you would look at the town of Thessalonica and you would think, boy, they were just troublemakers. Could it be that, you know, that they just gave up on them and and it was a, it stayed a pagan town, and I thought, you know what, <laughs> that couldn't have been because we have Paul writing two wonderful letters to the people of Thessalonica, and I, I'm just going to take a minute to read. This is how much, even though they were troublemakers, they were just one of the cities that cast them out. Paul kept making sure that either he went back or someone would keep and would not give up. Just listen to these words that Paul wrote to the people of Thessalonica. We always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound like a church that's faltering, that maybe never even, never even got off the ground? And then you hear these words in the second chapter. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel, his gospel, in spite of strong opposition. For we have 
For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are now looking for the praise of men, not from you or anyone else. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. It's, you know, after you study Acts and then you go into Paul's letters that he writes, and then you, you think, at least it got me thinking. Because it just looked like the Thessalonica was just one big pain in the neck. But how when you don't give up, then you hear words like this. I don't know, I just had to, I just had to put that in there. Okay, now while Paul was waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So verse 16, now we see that Paul was brought to Athens, and he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now instead of just waiting for Silas and Timothy and Luke, or whoever the team, to get to him, I kind of look at that as he just can't he just can't wait. There's no time to waste. These people are so are so off on the wrong path. He just couldn't wait another second to start bringing them the story. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Now again, remember, don't let those terms fool you. Because we've seen that there are many unbelieving Jews. Oh, they were very religious. They were sticking to their old ways and they weren't going to open their hearts. They were going to keep those hard religious hearts shut. And then even when you see God-fearing Greeks, remember Cornelius and Lydia, they were God-fearing, but again, did not know Jesus. So they reasoned in the synagogue. They reasoned with the God-fearing Greeks in the marketplace. A group, in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked what is this babbler trying to say? Now, let me just explain to you a little bit about who these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers are. And I think we, we might not have big names for them here, but I think we have to be careful with philosophers because these Epicureans, their purpose, their whole purpose for life was pleasure. They wanted a peaceful life. They wanted a life free of pain. And they were fearful. If anything rocked their boat or anything, anything kind of got in their wrong, something went wrong in their life, and, and they were especially fearful of death. And then the Stoics, their philosophy was, 
Well, they were proud. They they were they had a high sense of dignity. Um, they were kind of like what their name said, stoic. And that's that's how they perceived themselves. And so these two groups of philosophers began to dispute with Paul. And some of them even called him a babbler. Babbler, just running all, running with words at the mouth. Pretty much saying nothing, just... Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. See, this was totally foreign to them. So they considered this bunch of Babylon and advocating foreign gods. Then they took him, brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. They took him to this, and this was a real, this was a prestigious thing to be invited and brought for a meeting to the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? So now, let's, let's hear a little more about, see, I'll tell you, Greeks love, they love words, they love to debate. I mean, these philosophers, they could sit there all day and just go into, you know, all these different areas and just talk and talk and talk and talk. But they didn't listen, and, and it did prick some curiosity about what Paul was saying when he talked about Jesus and his resurrection and I'm sure they could see, because Paul was so sold on this, that he spoke, and, and Paul, remember that was another one of his preparations, that he was an eloquent speaker. And so, because they were so consumed with, with speakers and words and all that, they probably were intrigued with his delivery, but more importantly, they probably were captivated by his facial expressions, the, the intensity in, in which he spoke. And I'll tell you, when you're sold on your subject, when you're sold on your subject, you, you just speak it with such a fervor. And you're excited. And so they said, may we? May we know what this teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. See what I mean? They just love sitting around just yapping away. See, probably who is smarter, who just learned something new, and... Paul then stood up. See, this is, this is what we know as Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Did you know, notice that Paul didn't start by saying, I noticed that you are a bunch of nuts with all these gods. I mean, he did not come on and get them mad. He just came on, and he wasn't saying anything untruthful. I don't think he was blowing smoke. I don't think he was, he was falsely saying anything to glamorize or... No, but I do love his tactics. He's saying, I observed this. I mean, I think he was calm, even though he knew that all their gods were so worthless. And he eventually will say that. But I love the way he stood up and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. 
See, that sounded like a compliment, didn't it? It didn't sound insulting. But then it goes on. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I haven't found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim. There's that word again. I'm going to proclaim to you. Wasn't that an opener? He said, and I noticed that you didn't want to miss any, so you just had one erected so that in case we missed one, then we actually didn't miss them. So when he says, I noticed, I found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Now, would you worship as something unknown? And this God might be unknown to you, but I am going to proclaim to you who he is. Oh, I bet, I bet Paul just had a radiant light about him right there. It's when you love someone so much, when he said, I am going to proclaim to you about him, I bet they saw a real change in his countenance that just, he sold on what he was going to say. The God, now we see, see, it was God's with a little g. Now when he proclaims about the one, now you see the capital G. The God who made the world and everything in it is the God of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He started by saying, let me tell you, this God, capital G, the one God, he's the one that made the world. He made heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made with human hands. He is not served by human hands. Because he himself, he's the one that gives all men, life, and breath, and everything else. From one man, he made every nation that should inhabit the whole earth. And then he determined the times set for them, the exact places where they should live. Oh, has the Holy Spirit ever given Paul the right words and how to talk to these philosophers, these word-loving people? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And if you reach out for him, you'll find him. And then he, because he inserts this, because he's really not far away at all. He's not far from you. He's not far from me. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. See, that was another very, very powerful move of Paul that I'm sure the Holy Spirit gave him. It was like a bridge because he then quoted 
some information or some, something that maybe poets wrote. That maybe these Greek philosophers would say, oh, so-and-so, the poet, wrote the same words. So he was keeping their attention and he even insinuated and used lines as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. I couldn't help but think about being a bridge. Sometimes you have to, I don't, this isn't being deceitful or anything, but it's kind of like at Christmas time, I, I've been asked throughout all my singing years to sing at so many different unusual Christmas parties, programs, I mean, when you think about singing at a car dealership or, or brain surgeons or Avon, I mean, I, I've done Christmas programs for them all. But the reason why I could do that is because the Christmas music could be such a bridge that would eventually bringing Jesus, like I could come on with, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, or come on, ring those bells, or I'll be home with bells on, or silver bells, you know, some of those everyday Christmas songs that we hear that aren't necessarily carols, but then as you bridge into the example that I had, probably the best one was, I sang at this one, I guess it was a social gathering of, I mean, it wasn't a religious thing at all, but yet they wanted me to come and sing this. And I did, and and it really went over well. And I did what I, I do, I start with those Christmas songs, and everybody's listening, and everybody knows them. And then I just ease into the truth of Christmas and do the O Holy Night, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Silent Night. I remember I got a call after that particular one and a lady said, I was wondering if you, I was at the program of such and such and she says, I had I had known your name, and so my first thought when they introduced you was, oh, she's going to preach all the time. I was a little nervous that this was just going to, because I don't go for any of that stuff, and I was, I was just almost ready to close my mind off, but you started, and it was so easy to listen to. And she says, and then... Before I knew it, you had me. You had me in the message of Jesus. And she said, I would like you to do the same thing at such and such a program. But I thought of that. I haven't thought of that in a long time. But I thought, Paul, that that's the way the Holy Spirit can kind of put you in situations that instead of turning them off, you're able to create a bridge that you can meet them on their territory and then walk them over to the truth of Jesus. And then in verse 39, therefore, therefore, since we are God's offspring. So they were the poets, they were right. They said it's true statement and, and they didn't even realize why it was a true statement but now therefore since we are God's offspring I think this is this is the bridge that now he's walking them over because he met them on their turf and now therefore since we are God's God's offspring they said it we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. I think Paul isn't 
isn't domineering. I think he is just gently saying, therefore, since we are God's offspring, think about this. Because that's why he says, think. We should not think that, that the divine being I mean, you, of all people, who use your minds and debate and try to think reasoning. Well, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. See, now, now he's over the bridge. Now, now he's into... You know, God, for a while, in the past, he overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Remember for so many weeks, I've talked about God's terms. That, that salvation is on God's terms. And God's terms, like last week's lesson, is so simple. Believe. Open your heart up. Walk to the cross. Jesus suffered and died for you. The terms are you respond in confession and repentance. And you accept that gift. That gift of his blood that can wash away your sins. So in verse 30, in the past God overlooks such ignorance, but now the Savior has come, the Savior fulfilled. Jesus did pay it all. So now he commands all people everywhere to repent. These are his terms. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Boy, this was so good. Paul is, and I think very, in, without yelling, without, without clubbing him, I think he's just a very distinguished and very calmly saying, and if you don't follow his terms, you'll be judged. He has said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. See, he knew that this was going to be a rise. This, this one was probably going to get their ears like when he mentioned the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead. I think Paul has a pretty good idea that they don't want to hear this part. But Paul's got to say it. He's given proof. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. See, that resurrection is, is the crux. We can't leave Jesus in the manger. We can't leave, leave him walking 33 years in his teachings. We can't leave him on the cross. Paul knows, you and I know, that it was the resurrection that sealed the deal. The resurrection is the most important. That's why we sing songs like, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's why Fanny Crosby is saying, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. She knows she's not doing that to some dead man. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. What have you learned in the pa these past weeks in Acts when Paul goes into these cities, when Peter and John went into the cities, 
Didn't you notice it's the same thing all the time? And it's the same today. You either believe or you don't. And whose choice is that? And you can see it through these, these stories that are real because every word is true. Everybody has the same two ears and hears the same message. But the results are whether you want a hard heart or if you want to, if you want let the Lord soften your heart because you have a desire to want what he is offering. It's the same thing here. Even with these intellectuals, oh, some of them, they sneered. Personally, I knew, yeah, I even know what that feels like. I can be in a group and I can be, I can be working into something and I can take them over the bridge. I mean, even in some of my, in some of the programs, you could see when you got into the message of Jesus, you could see right away where some would look at another person and start snickering. Or I've even had some that then they got up and walked out. And you just feel so badly, you know, not I used to feel bad like for myself thinking, oh dear, I did something wrong. Now I just feel sorry for them. Because they didn't want to hear. And so then I would put my focus on those who were looking and desiring and listening. But it's been for all the ages. You either receive it or you resist it. You rebuke it. You turn it away. And let me just tell you, I feel so sorry for them. I don't even care what they do to me anymore. I just feel sorry for them because you just want to just yell and say, do you realize what you're walking away from? Do you realize the consequences of your laughing at the greatest news and the greatest message the redemption of a Savior, do you realize what you're doing? So I didn't read that fast. Because I'm thinking, you know what? It hasn't changed. The sad thing about it is that Paul, in his, in his sermon there on Mars Hill, as beautiful as he started and as he bridged, but when he got to the facts, he let them know, but there will be a day. And so to those who sneered, I feel so sorry for them. But others said, we want to hear more. We want to hear from you again on this subject. At that point, at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius. He was a member of the Arapagus. That's quite an influ That was quite. That was a good one. <laughs> good believer there. But you know what? No matter whether he was a member of the Areopagus or not. Or one of the lowest people, maybe a homeless person listening to a message, anybody who's willing to open their heart to the message of Jesus, Jesus will accept and take in. And then also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. But it wasn't a large number. It wasn't a large number. And why did Paul, why did he leave the council? When, he, when they said, we want to hear you again on this subject. 
Why did he leave? Even though, yes, he had few believers. I think he could have. He could have stayed all day and he could have debated all day. And I think the Holy Spirit there too said, you know what, Paul? It's time that you get up from this and you leave. Because sometimes they just want to question you to death, talk you to death, uh, try to poke holes in everything you're doing. I think Paul knew when enough was enough. He knew those who were listening and believing and desiring. And that's the way that chapter ends. Paul wasn't interested in debating. Paul was interested in people hearing the gospel and responding. How can you tell? I asked you this question. How can you tell that Paul believes what he preaches? I hope that you thought about that. I, I know I thought, well, you, you can't deny the intensity of his words. He knew how to speak to every audience that he had. He made the most of every opportunity, whether there were large numbers, whether there were small numbers. He followed the Holy Spirit's leading. And another thing, he was fearless. He was totally fearless to tell the truth, whatever the cost. And because of that, and I read you from the book of Thessalonians, we never can give up. But yet when the Holy Spirit tells us to move on, we move on. The key to this is how, how do you know when you're real is when you would rather listen to God's Spirit than your own. When your life is not about you anymore, but it's about him. That you believe that your purpose on this earth is for his glory and not your own. That's when you know you're getting someplace. And that's when you're going to know life to the fullest, like Jesus said. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this truth, this word, straight that came straight from you. God, we are grateful that the word became flesh. And that now, because Jesus has died and has, has, he has gone back to heaven, he rose from the dead, he's back in heaven, he's back in this place. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit has inspired these, these men to be able to put these words down that we can be well assured that even though men have written these stories, these truths, it came straight from your spirit. That's why we know every word is true. Lord, may we take a look at these people in these scriptures and learn. We're not trying to make scriptures say what we want it to say. But Lord, we know that these people and their stories are in there for a reason. Because human nature is human nature. And we want to stay on the right path. And we, we want to be able to have examples that prove that it's possible to be fearless for the cause of Christ. That we can stand and, and give our testimony and be a witness, a simple witness of what Jesus has done. To be able to say to somebody who says, how can I be saved? And that we can with confidence say, believe with your heart that Jesus is who he is. That the cross worked. That his blood was shed. Father, we can be saved. We believe with our heart. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We will be saved. Father, thank you for these lessons. 
for Paul, for Luke. Father, we, we know that your word is what we need to stand on, hold on, to cling to. We pray this all in our Savior's name who makes life so worth living. Amen.